We're turning to the Word of God and to the New Testament and to the book of Acts and the chapter 19, please. Acts chapter 19, and then we're reading a couple of verses from Acts 20, and then a couple of verses from the Revelation. So open your Bible, keep your Bible open, and listen for the voice of God speaking, not man, the voice of God speaking through his word. He has promised to speak to us if we hear him, and we want to hear him, and then he expects us to obey what we uh, have heard. We're at Acts chapter 19, and we're at the verse 9. And just before I read these verses, let me just fill you in on the context here. The Apostle Paul is preaching in the Asian city of Ephesus, present-day Turkey, where this church was, this mighty, vital, powerful, reviving church, where it was, this morning there is a Muslim mosque there, and all you would hear would be the crying and the lamenting uh, and the scraping of the Muslims at four o'clock in the morning. There's no witness there. Jesus said that would happen to it. He said he would remove the candlestick from Ephesus, and he did. God help us that he not ever remove the candlestick and the light from this corner here. And Paul the Apostle's preaching and the opposition against them is fierce. And uh, when we come down to verse 9, we read these words. But when different people were hardened and believed not, but spake evil of that way before the multitude. That way, by the way, was a name given to the early church. He departed from them and separated the disciples disputing daily in the school of one Tyrannius. And this continued by the space of two years so that all they which dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jew and Greek. Now do you notice they heard the word? They heard the word. Boy, people need to hear the word today. And they need to hear the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. And then you read this in verse 11. And God wrought special miracles by the hands of Paul, so that from his body were brought onto the sick handkerchief for aprons, and the diseases part departed from them, and the evil spirit went out of them. Notice that it says, God wrought. God wrought. Boy, we need to give the glory to God. God wrought special miracles. And Paul wasn't even there. Just a napkin or a handkerchief as it's called here. It's a napkin or a cloth that was used for two purposes. 
One was for rubbing the sweat of the laboring man when he was out working on a hot day. The other was used for covering the face of the dead. It's the same word used for the napkin that covered our Lord in the tomb. I want you to get that into your mind. This is not just a handkerchief you have in your pocket. The word for it is, the name for it is napkin. Rub the sweat of the laboring man and covered the face of a dead man. Both have to do with the fall of man. Sweat of the brow came from the fall and death came from the fall. And so you see here, there's such a power that they just handed round this napkin to anybody that was sick, anybody that was dying, anybody that was diseased, anybody that was possessed with demons, and they were delivered, and they were healed, and they were saved, and Paul wasn't near them. Such was the power of God. Boy, we need to see power like that again. We need to see God working like that again. They were saved, they were healed, they were delivered. And then, of course, you'll not have that without this. Look at verse 13. Then certain of the vagabond Jews, exorcists, demonic powers here, took upon them to call over them them which had evil spirits, the name of the Lord Jesus, saying, We adjure thee by Jesus, whom Paul preached. And there were seven sons of one Sceva Jew, and chief of the priests. He was a chief of the priests of satanic power. And you know, the devil has his chief priests too. The devil's kingdom has a hierarchy. And people say sometimes, the devil give me a hard day. The devil was nowhere near you. The devil's not bothered too much with some of us. I think the devil, I think the devil this morning is about, about the, the West Bank or somewhere. But he has demons. He has thousands and myriads of demons that attack the people of God, challenge the people of God, bring to naught the people of God, especially when there's blessing, especially when God is moving. And that's what's happening here. The devil will not let the blessing of God go unchallenged. And he has his top men and he has his his demonic powers at, at, at work here. Verse, four, verse 15, And the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know, Paul I know, but who are you? He didn't know them. There's a whole lot of God's people you know and the devil doesn't know anything about them. Leonard Ravenhill said one time, If there's anything I want more, it is my name in blazing letters in hell and a big picture of me in hell, number one wanted man. Boy, if the devil's after you, you're giving them trouble. If the devil's after a church, you're doing damage. If the devil's after a marriage, he doesn't like it. The devil doesn't know what to be at in these days. He knew Paul, all right, and he knew Jesus, all right. Of course he did. He didn't know these boys. Paul, I know. Jesus, I know. But who are you? Maybe he's saying, I don't know anything about that boy. He never gives me any trouble. I don't know anything about her. They never pray. I never hear them praying. I just let them alone. <laughs> Friends, we need, to, we, need, we need to be known in hell. Verse 17, And this was known to all the Jews and Greeks also dwelling in Ephesus. And fear fell, watch this now, 
and fear fell on them all. Now watch this. And the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. And many that believed came and confessed and showed their deeds. Many of them also which used curious arts brought their books together and burned them before all the men. And they counted the price of them and found that 50,000 pieces of silver so mightily grew the word of God and prevailed. This is a mighty revival in Ephesus. No revival in it this morning. This is a mighty revival that was in Ephesus. Now turn over to the next chapter, 20. And verse 26. And Paul's continuing on speaking to about the church at Ephesus before he takes leave from them. Or maybe after he had left them. But he's speaking about the church in 26. Wherefore I take you to record this day that I am pure from the blood of all men. I don't think I can say that. I'd love to be able to say it. I tell you preachers would need to be able to say that. Every Christian would need to say that. But the blood of our neighbors is on our hands. The blood of our workmates are on our hands. The blood of our school people are on our hands. We're responsible for the souls of men and women. And it's a fearful thought. He could say here that uh, I am pure from the blood of all men, for I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. Take heed therefore unto yourselves as a flock over the which the Holy Ghost had made you oversize to feed the church of God which he has purchased with his blood. For I know this, that after my departing, and this is what happened in Ephesus, after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. Therefore watch and remember, now listen to this, that by the space of three years I cease not, cease not to warn everyone night and day with tears. Turn over now to the Revelation in chapter 2 for a final reading. Again, here the Lord Jesus, 30 years after, after this, what we've been reading in Acts, our Lord Jesus, the risen, exalted Christ, speaks, sends a message to the seven churches of Asia Minor. Each one of these churches embrace a period of church history from the very beginning of the church age until the end of it. The last one being the one we're in at the moment, the Laodicean church. And to come down through the centuries of the period of everything that's going on in the churches, and this is the first church at Ephesus that he's writing to here. And chapter 2 and verse 1 says, Unto the angel, now we the pastors and ministers and elders are not called angels very often, I don't think I've ever been called an angel. I've been called many a thing. But the angel here means the minister, the pastor, the leader of the church. And the message goes first to the pulpit. To the pulpit. Oh, but tight is the pulpit's not right. You'll not have the people right. On to the angel, the minister, the leader, the elders of the church of Ephesus is right. These things, says he, the Lord Jesus, that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. I know thy works. Now this is the church of Ephesus. I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience. And how thou canst not bear them which are evil and hath 
And thou hast tried them which say they're apostles and are not, and hast found them liars. And hast borne and with and has patience, and for my name's sake has laboured and not fainted. Boy, he's commending them very highly. And then verse 4, this is the sad bit about it. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art falling, and repent. Remember, repent, and do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly, and I will remove the candlestick out of thy place, except thou repent. But this thou hast, this thou hast, that thou hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I hate. And he that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. We know that God will bless to us the reading of these precious words this morning. The last words of our Lord Jesus Christ to his church and to his redeemed people were not, were not go into the world, all the world, and preach the gospel to every creature. And he that believeth is baptized, and baptized shall be saved. These were among his last words on earth, but they were not the last words of our Lord. The last words of our risen Lord to the churches of Asia Minor is the word repent. He's in heaven now and he's looking down and he's called them to repent. Five out of the seven churches that follow on after this church, he calls each one of them and commands them to repent. Vance Havner says that proportion is probably the same today that five out of seven churches would need to repent. That five out of seven Christians would need to repent. And maybe, 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 maybe seven out of seven would need to repent. I don't know. But the last words was to repent. The last church was the church of Laodicea that represents the age in which we live in. This age of uh, miserable, wretched, poor and blind and naked, no power, no zeal, no fire, an awful indictment upon the church of today. But in chapter 3 and 19 regarding that church, he says, be zealous, be on fire, be out and out and repent. And then the next verse after that, he says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and sup with him and he will me. Supper time. So I want to say to you, first of all, this morning, as we go down to this message, we need to repent because of the time. You see, supper time was the last meal of the day. It was late. It was just before they blew out the lights and closed the curtains. And I want to say to you this morning that it's dark, and it's late, and it's time to repent. The storm clouds of the final judgment are hovering over us. Paul tells us in the last days perilous times shall come. 
Those word perilous times are exceedingly fierce. They're the same words used for the man of Gadara, for the men of Gadara, the maniacs of Gadara. They were exceedingly fierce. Nobody could pass by when they were there. They were cutting themselves with stones day and night, self-harming. They were running naked round the tombs, exceedingly fierce times. These are the times, the perilous times that we are in. Self-harm amongst young people. Suicides rocketing and they're not even giving us anywhere near the statistics. Child abuse and drugs and rape and everything. The days of Noah, Jesus says. Well, let me tell you, the days of Noah were Mickey Mouse compared to the days that we're living in now. God's about to drop the final curtain. He's about to blow out the lights. He's about to blow the trumpet and take the church out. And time tells us it's late. And time tells us it's time to repent. But it's not only time to repent because uh, it's, it's late. The Lord tells us to repent. Sixteen times in his earthly ministry he cries repentance. A complete and utter turning away from your sins. Sixteen times in his earthly ministry he cries repentance. Seven times from heaven in the book of Revelation, which is 23 times altogether. Now you travel 23 miles up the motorway and every, every mile there's a big neon light and a big sign flashing, flashing, flashing. Stop! Turn! 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 The bridge into the lagging has collapsed and the motorway's blocked. Turn! Now you drove up and 23 of them flashed at you on the way up and you drove on, you'd be a fool. And you would deserve to go down into the lagging. And he's saying here to men and women, repent, repent, repent. These were the last words. We hear little spoke about repentance today. Friend, we can never have revival without repentance. And there's a whole lot of stuff needs to be repented from by God's people and by the Protestant people. There's a lot of repentance needed before we will see revival. And we need to search our hearts. So we're praying for revival and crying to God three nights a week here at 11 and half 11. And people are putting themselves out and traveling miles. But we'll never see it without repentance. And I pray that God, why did he emphasize all this of repentance? He only did because of the need of it. It's need to repent because of time. It's need to repent because the Lord says. It's time to repent because the Spirit says. He that has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says unto the church. And in the verse after he says that in Revelation 3, he says, come up hither. Because my spirit shall not always strive with man. And between the end of chapter 3 of Revelation and the first verse in chapter 4, the church is taken out. She's lifted out. The Spirit is gone. There's no hope for repentance. So we're in very, very dodgy last days. Now I want to look at this first century church and look for a wee moment at their past. Apostle Paul founded this church on his third missionary journey. He preached the whole counsel of God in schools, in synagogues, in streets, and in homes. It was a stronghold of Satan, sorcery, witchcraft, was driven by the great goddess Diana 
All Ephesus were betwitched. It was one of the seven wonders of the world. And all the immoral acts of the day were committed in broad daylight underneath it. It was the, it was the vanity, affair, vanity fair of the world. Of the modern world. Gross darkness covered the city and gross darkness covered the people. Three years Paul labored. He told us I went from house to house, from door to door, night and day with tears, trying to win their people. And here's what he preached, to repentance towards God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me stop a wee minute. Paul was not only a theologian and a scholar, and I think it was Cambridge University did a survey on him some years ago, and they reckoned that he was the greatest scholar that ever lived. But he wasn't only a scholar, he wasn't only a theologian, he was a pastor. He was weeping round the doors. He was a worker, he was a tent maker. He didn't fleece the flock, he fled them. There's a lot of boys fleecing the flock and they're not feeding them. He worked with his hands. He didn't sponge the flock, he shepherded the flock. He didn't leave the flock in the trial and the crisis that many did when COVID came in. He loved them and stayed with them. After Paul came the godly Aquila and Priscilla. They lived and worked and preached amongst them. This was followed by the Paulus, the mighty, mighty man that was mighty in the scriptures. This was followed in Ephesus by Timothy and the Apostle John, both pastored here. What a number of mighty men were in this city and in this church. Talk about privileges. Is it any wonder that we read the fear fear fell on them and the Lord was magnified and revival broke and swept through Asia like a wildfire? Mighty men and mightily grew the word of God. I was thinking of our nation and I think of our nation in the past spiritually. Sometimes I'm broken. When I think of Wesley and Whitfield and Spurgeon, in England, when I think of Wales, uh, Christmas Evans and Seth Joshua and Lloyd-Jones and men that was raised there. When I think of Scotland and I think of the, Boner, the Bonners and the McShanes and Knoxes. When I think of Northern Ireland, I think of Sammy Workman and late men, later men, Willie Mullen, Paisley, another man, preached the word and saw moves of God. My friend, you can hardly get a preacher to come into the pulpit today worth his salt. God help us. If ever we needed a move of God, we needed in Northern Ireland. And you notice there that Ireland was never mentioned. Ireland was never mentioned. They had no great men. They had no great preachers in the last uh, couple of hundred years. They had no men. They had no revival. They had no nothing like we had up here. But I can tell you their day is coming. The day is coming. The day is coming when God's going to move through Ireland. And he's going to move through the Catholics whether you like it or not. And he's going to save them in their thousands. I tell you, revival's coming to Ireland. And pass the Protestants by that trampled tracks underneath their feet on the 12th of July, one after the other that would save China. And have binned them and have burned them and have done everything. Protestant people, I tell you, we'll pay for it. And the day is coming, I say, when God's going to move upon the land. And the power of God fell. And it says here that sinners and saints began to get right with God. Now listen to what I'm going to hear this morning. This is from a burdened heart this morning. 
Those that were involved in witchcraft and witchery boards and black arts and charms and, smell and, 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 and spells. Those that had books on demonology. And I'm not reading into this. I'm telling you what this means. Those that had books on demonology, astrology, curious arts, papers, magazines, down to our level today, CDs, DVDs, any relics of superstition, idolatry, any old sworn and lodges, orders, or institutions. Let it be the Masonic or the black or the orange. I, for the life of me, can't understand how a Christian man can put a collarette round him and have on it worshipful master. It cannot be, my friend. We have one master. We have one worshipful master. And he's the Lord Jesus Christ. How you can walk with that around you or worship another master? How can you pray for revival? These things have to go. These things have to be burnt. These things have to be come out from where we're going to see God moving. God has showed me this very clearly in the night watches in the past days. Any books or tapes on yoga, Jehovah Witnesses, the Mormons, pornographic literature, anything on your phone, in your home, there needs to be a bonfire. There was a bonfire here. There needs to be a bonfire and a public bonfire. It was done publicly in the place. Harvey Shaw preached over there a few years ago. And there was a young man, preached along these lines. There was a young man in the meeting and he went home to a council estate and he took everything out of the house at 10 o'clock at night. Our meetings used to be at half eight. He took them all out at 10 o'clock at half 10 at night and he had a fire in his back garden. And you need to go through your house like the children of Israel went through it for the east. For the leaven, you need to go through it and search it and see, is there anything in the stopping the blessing that's bringing sickness to your home? Let me say, this is real. There needs to be repentance. There needs to be repentance before God. We need to get down broken before God. This was costly. 50,000 pieces of silver. They brought out that much stuff. They brought out that much stuff that 50,000 pieces accounted it. 50,000 pieces of silver. Now listen to me. If 30 pieces of silver, which our Lord Jesus was sold for, was the wages for a year, they tell us it was the wages for a year of a female slave. If 30 pieces of silver were the wages for a year for a female slave, what does 50,000 pieces of silver not come to? And what would it not come to today? You're talking into maybe a million. We want revival. It's costly. We want revival. We have to go through our home. We have to go through our hearts. We want revival. We want God. He can't have no other gods before me. We want God. We want revival. We want blessing. Well, he wants you. And he doesn't want you with something tied around you. He wants you and he wants you alone. He wants you clean. He wants you holy. He wants you separated. Boys talk about separation. I tell you we need separation today. They talk about separation. You leave one church and go to another because they preach another, preach out of another version. That's separate. That's not separation. That's good. Do that. Pick the King James and don't go without it. I love this old book. I tell you, there's more to separation than that. We need to come out from all these things. They'll hinder you. They'll stop you. They'll not give glory to God. 
Whatever it might be. Could be a thousand things. I don't know. Let the Spirit tell you what it is. So they had a bonfire and they burnt the whole shooting gallery and, and everybody watched and looked on and the whole thing went up in flames and the Word of God grew mightily. The Word of God grew mightily. Maybe we've come to a place here in our quest for revival and our prayers and our cries unto God from last June, three nights a week. Maybe we've come to the place here when God's stopping to say there has to be things sorted out. Neither you depart from this place or do it. This is not a sideshow. These are very serious days and serious hours. And only men and women that was needed in, in, in for revival blessing of men with clean hands and a pure heart who can look at God in the face and say, Lord, as far as I know, there's nothing between thee and me. God needs to give us a baptism of repentance. And we need repentance, some of the Protestant people, or the Catholic people. There's an old spirit of bigotry and there's never gone away. We can pray all we like. And I'm saying this from my heart this morning. I hear it, I know it, I feel it. But I tell you, unless we can get rid of that, Unless we can, God had to deal with me very seriously along these lines. I happen to see more than any of you people here ever saw. A terrorist and evil men done. I've seen men gathered up in bags. I've seen colleagues at my side murdered. God had to deal with me. There has to be brokenness, friends. We'll have to leave all this old stuff behind us. Doesn't care whether pups get in or poots or whatever you call them or Dollison or Bunny. It doesn't matter that who gets in. It's God we need. We've propped up all these things far too long. Propped them up far too long. Spent our time in bands and drums and marches and round the countryside. If we just spent any a half amount of it with God and prayer, we have revival. There's a call now from the heart of God this morning. We'd have had revival. Oh, the other side. Oh, a boy told me the other day, they'll not put a poppy on. God help us if that's all you're depending on a poppy. God has a dealing to do with us. How do you expect your children to be praying? How do you expect to be in meetings? How do you expect them to be in for revival? If all this is thumped into them from, from their children, there needs to be cleansing, there needs to be repentance, there needs to be brokenness. If God's going to move. And then in verse 2 of Revelation 2, where you have your Bible open, I hope at the moment, 30 years later, he says, I know thy works and thy labor. He says, I walk up and down in the midst. And he's walking up and down in the midst. You can't see him this morning, but he's walking up and down in the midst of this church this morning. And he knows what you were at last week and what you were saying and every critical spirit that came out of your mouth about a child of God. And you just let him minister to you this morning. And then go and repent. And if you don't, God help you. 
He says, I'm walking up and down in the midst. He was watching this church all the time. He says, I'm walking up and down. He says, you're a hard-working church. He says, you labor in the gospel. And so they did. They were a fervent church. They had missions, they had meetings, they had tracts. They would have half nights of prayer. That have labored, labored and kept going and endured all that the enemy fired them. He says, you have not fainted. He commanded them mightily, you're not fainted in the middle of persecution and demonic powers. You're not fainting. I tell you, this church wouldn't have closed for COVID. I tell you, they'd have kept the bread and table wine and table open. I tell you, they'd have kept the churches, they'd have kept their church open. These people would have, would have protested against abortion. And crowds would have flocked to them in one time after the mighty revival and the power of God. They were fervent. They were fundamental. There was no apostate allowed in the pulpit in this church. They hated the Nicolaitans. Oh, those Nicolaitans, those apostate Nicolaitans, not getting into our church. They'd have tried the spirits. And only the man that would have be the man that would be suitable to them would be in. God, the Lord didn't find anything wrong with that. He says, you're a fervent church. You're a fundamental church. You're a faithful church. They're married. They're buried. They're visited. They're prayed for the sick. But then he says in verse 5, you've fallen. You've fallen. Boy, you think how would a church like that fall? Because we're not looking at it through the eyes of the Lord. You've fallen. Oh, you can have your big crowds and your big numbers and your collars and our gowns and all. We can have everything we want. We can have meetings, we can have missions, we can have tea, we can have whatever we like. But he says, you're fallen. And that word fallen means they're down to the very bottom. Paul, the apostle, and wrote to the Ephesian church and he says, you're risen with Christ, you're raised up together to sit in heavenly places. High as they could go, now they've come as low as they can go. And that can happen to any church. Paul, you're as low as you can go. It wasn't morality that brought them down. It wasn't adultery or homosexuality or same-sex marriages that brought them down. The pastor didn't run off with a pianist. The Sunday school teacher didn't abuse a child. The treasurer didn't embezzle the money. The oversight didn't vote out the King James Version or anything like that. Nevertheless, I have something against thee. And when the Lord is against us, there's no use in doing anything else. No use in, if he's against you, there's not a bit use in praying, not a bit use in going to the meeting. God be for us, who can be against us? But if God is against us, who can be for us? He says, I'm against you. Why? Thou hast left thy first love. The love is gone. Didn't the love is gone? You've lost, you've left your first love, not lost. That left it. I left the car up at the house this morning, I haven't lost. Tell me, have you left your first love? 
Because one of the marks of the last day is that iniquity shall be bound and the love of many shall wax cold. Be honest this morning, has the love for the word gone? The love for prayer gone? The love for fellowship gone? The love to be with God's people gone? The love for souls gone? The love for witnessing gone? Word for the, ta- the love for the table gone. Hudson Taylor says the primary business of a missionary is not his love for souls, it's his love for Christ. Remember, remember your first love. He's talking about first love. Boyfriend. Girlfriend, first job, first home. But not now. Not now. Doesn't turn you on anymore. It's not love anymore. Let me close. This was the problem with this church. It left the first love. Remember when you got saved first. Here's something I penned down. I had to wait till the last night to get this. Love is timeless. Timeless. You're really in love. You'll spend hours with one another. You wouldn't wait to get to see her or him. And then you didn't want to leave. Seven o'clock, eight o'clock, nine o'clock, on the dot, you were there. You'd have left everything. and fled miles to get to the one you love. You were consumed with that first love. Remember Jacob? He served seven years for Rachel and he said it was just like a few days. Time doesn't come into it. Remember Ruth? She lay at the feet of Boaz all night. And they tell me the temperature out there at night drops to zero. She lay out in the open field at his feet all night and said to him, Why have I found grace in thy sight? See, and I'm a stranger. Time didn't matter. And then love was not only Timeless, it's reckless. No expense, no distance, no barriers, no borders. Jew or Gentile, Catholic or Protestant, old or young, rich or poor. Boy, when that gets a grip of you. Oh, when that gets a grip of you. 
Paul says, the love of Christ constrains me. You know what that means? The love of Christ has gripped me, holds me, squeezes me. That's what kept Paul going. He never lost that, left that love. Remember Mary Magdalene? She rose early in the morning. She made her way through the streets of Jerusalem where on the streets of Jerusalem were revelers and drunkards and men that were there from the feast from the night before. She's making her way to the tomb. And as she goes, there's an there's a, there's a explosion, there's an earthquake and the temple veil rent and there was another one and the graves opened an earthquake and the graves opened and the dead of the Old Testament rose up. She went on. She went on. She went on. Tell me where you've laid him. Boy. You know why she was so in pursuit of Christ and nothing could stop her? Because he had cast seven demons out of her. He had set her free. And he has set some of you here free this morning. And he loves you with all his heart. And he let them pull the clothes from off him and strip him naked. And nail him on an old Roman gibbet. And when they put it down into the ground, every bone in his body went out of joint. It was all of love. He loved me and gave himself for me. And he loved you and gave himself for you. And he hung on that old cross naked. And you can't even come to a prayer meeting. Your love is gone for the prayer meetings. You make excuses about the prayer meetings. Oh, I can't get on Monday night. Well, you could get on Wednesday night or Friday night. Or go somewhere else. Go somewhere else and pray. The love is gone. We're not absorbed with it anymore. We're not consumed with it anymore. We're not consumed with him anymore. All the things have taken the place. He says, nevertheless, he says, I have something against you. I have left. You've left me. No, doesn't a woman know what it's like? Doesn't a woman in particular know what it's like from the love of her life leaves? God knows us scattered all over the countryside. Wounds that they never, never heal from. The first love is gone. How do you think the Lord felt about this church? How do you think he felt when he saw the stand and he saw the blessing with Paul and Apollos and Aquila and John and all that he sent into it? The only church of the seven churches that you get anything hardly written about. God loved the church at Ephesus. He wouldn't have sent those men. Paulus mighty in the scriptures. He wouldn't have sent those men. God help that this church will ever the lampstand will be removed from it. His heart was broken. And his heart's broken this morning with his people. 
And his heart's probably broken with me this morning. But I had to confess and repent with a pen in this message. Where's my love? Where's my first love? What about Mary of Bethany? She had alabaster box and other year's wages for a servant. One whole year's wages. And that wee alabaster box, she came in behind the Savior and she broke it and she spilled it all out over him. And they all went mad and the disciples rose in indignation against her. She was pouring out all that she had. She was giving them all that she had. She loved them so much. Love is timeless. It's reckless. And it's fathomless. There's no depth to it. There's no bottom to it. There's no shores to it. Many waters cannot quench love. And it's restless. It's restless. Where are we this morning? Where are we? I have something against you. Would you sit down beside some of us this morning and have something against you? You're a good mother and you're a good father. And you're a good worker and you tend for your children. And you come to the meetings and you're faithful in the meetings. But you've, you've left your first love. You don't love me the way you should. Well, if your wife come and told you that, or your husband come and told you, I don't love you now. She says, you've left it. He says, remember. Then he says, repent. And then he says, return. Come back. Come back. Come back. It's timeless, reckless, fathomless, restless. All culminates in the Savior. As the Father has loved me, even so love I you. Continue ye in my love. His love. The love of God for me. How he loves us this morning. Read 1 Corinthians 13 and I'm finished when you go home. Though I speak with the tongues of men, the greatest orators that ever lived are the tongues even of angels and have not love. I'm a sounding brass and a tinkling cymbal. Though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, I tell you, if you could understand all the mysteries and all the knowledge of this world and of the future, boy, I tell you, you'd be some man, you would be some woman. He says you can have all that and not love, you have nothing. He says if you have faith that could remove mountains and have not love, Though you bestow all your goods to feed the poor and give your body to be burnt. Boy, I tell you this, everything that you have, I'm going to put it in boxes and I'm going to give it out to Africa and I'm going to starve. 
And not only that, but I'm going to give my body to be burned with them. See, you do all that. But you can do that without love. Yes, you can do that without love, my friend. Places coming down with organizations. And God bless them with sending thousands and thousands and thousands of stuff, far more than the Christian church. But you can do it without love. Without the love for him. Give my body to be born to and have not love that profited me nothing. Now, listen, I finished. Now, 1 Corinthians 30, now, abide the faith, hope, love, but the greatest of these is love. Pray this day when you go home, and I'll do the same. Lord, give me a love. Give me a love for the Lord. Give me a love for yourself. Give me a love for your word. Give me a love for the people of God. Give me a love for that man that abused me. Give me a love for them people that said things about me. Give me a love for those that condemned and criticized. Give me a love, Lord, a love. Give me the love, Amy Carmichael. Give me the love that leads the way. A faith that nothing can dismay. A hope no disappointments tire. A passion that will burn like fire. Let me not sink to be a clod. Make me thy fuel, flame of God. From subtle love of softening things. We're good at softening things. From easy choices, weakenings. Not this way went the fortified. Not this way is, spirit, is demons fortified. But all that dims thy Calvary, O Lamb of God, deliver me. Anything that dims Calvary, anything that shreds, covers and veils the love of God, let us give our whole heart, life and soul unto him, for we'll soon be face to face with Christ my Saviour. Face to face, what will it be? When in rapture I behold him, Jesus Christ who died, for me.